This is your host, Amy Orsno, and welcome to the Transmit Safety Podcast, a podcast that will help you achieve a holistic approach to workplace health and safety with practical solutions introducing new or alternative ways of approach to put that value of safety into action. So fill up that workplace-approved beverage of your choice and tune in to today's episode. Continuous improvement. It's a term we use all the time within health and safety. So when we talk about continuous improvement for our health and safety manuals, why are we perhaps reluctant to make changes? In today's episode, I'm going to talk about some factors and perhaps some obvious influences that you should recognize when thinking about updating your health and safety manual. Number one, the complainers. Okay, you might have rolled your eyes on that one, but what if, just what if, the people complaining about the manual content are right? You might be biased about how fantastic your policies are written, how delightful and pleasant to fill out the forms you've created are, But ah, remember those policies, those practices, those procedures, those forms that you have created are not for you. When we talk about emotional intelligence, we also want to think about the emotional reactions of people and how they differ from the emotion itself. So somebody who is demonstrating the emotional reaction of perhaps complaining, might be feeling the emotion of anger, disappointment, frustration. Perhaps they feel that they are unseen or unheard. And so their only way to feel validated or seen or heard is to, air quote, complain. It's important to listen to the feedback of the end users of your health and safety manual. Listen to listen Listen to understand. Don't just listen to say, well, that's what everybody else is doing. Or, well, that's what industry standard is like. Or, well, I'm right, you're wrong. You actually want to listen to what they are saying. Listen to the words. But also pay attention to what is not being said. The signs, the visuals. And as Ursula puts it so delightfully, listen to the body language. Your primary audience is the one doing the work and your health and safety manual needs to be for them. It needs to be easily understood, putting that paper into practice. So what are some factors that might influence their dissatisfaction with the current state of the manual? Maybe it's too wordy. Maybe the manual you wrote for yourself is based on your education level and not really understanding the education level of the end user. An interesting fact, 48% of adults in Canada have literacy skills that fall below a high school level. This definitely negatively impacts their ability to function at work and in their personal lives. Thinking about this next fact, 17% function at the lowest level. 
where, for example, they may not be able to even read basic instructions on packaging. Now, this doesn't mean that they're not good workers. This doesn't mean that they can't be fantastic at their job. This means that we, as health and safety practitioners, need to adapt how we are providing that information. So when you are writing for content in the workplace, be clear, be concise, be direct. Write in plain language. Include those definitions that you might think are everyday understood. Explain those acronyms that you use. And if need be, maybe consider adding pictures for clarification or having a wiki page or an FAQ section. Yep, every time somebody asks you a question about the application of the words on the paper or the policy, the procedure, that's an indication there could be room for improvement. I'm not even going to get into the discussion on this episode about English as a second language, but there's definitely another conversation to be had if you have workers that speak English as a second language. Here's this next one. You copied and pasted your policy, your practice, your procedure from a client or have used it in a different industry and it's just not working. Your workers might be frustrated by that. I've said it. We health and safety practitioners love a good copy and paste. We love not to reinvent the wheel. And there's a time and a place for that. However, this can get us into trouble at times because we've lacked the self-reflection of asking ourselves specific questions, such as, how do I make this integrated into our business How do I put this into our values? Or maybe perhaps asking, how do I roll this out internally with practical intention? More importantly, does this policy, practice, procedure meet the needs of our people? Or hear about this one. You don't listen. We mentioned listening a little bit earlier but oh snap, here comes the hard truth. You've crafted this manual through your blood, sweat, and tears. It is the most beautiful thing that you have ever seen in your life. Chef's kiss. How could anybody ever dare say that the manual, the policies, the practices, the procedures, the forms aren't perfect? So it's not the complainer's. Maybe it's you. You're not actually taking the time to really listen to what those air quote unquote complainers are saying. So it's your approach to that paper and to practice. And you're not listening to the feedback from the collective. Speaking of the collective process. So we talked about number one in terms of some factors that may be influencing your manual, the complainers. We've just dived into some conversational points about them. But what about number two, the collective process of legislation and industry standard? There have been too many times this past year that I have been auditing a company's health and safety manual and the legislative references within that manual are out of date. So at minimum, something that should be triggering you to go in and updating your health and safety manual is if legislation changes. That is a ding, a red flag for you to get to work. 
The same goes for any industry standards that you have specifically referenced in your manual. It is so vital that you, the health and safety practitioner, are aware of the upcoming dates and changes in terms of legislation and industry standards. Get on email lists, join professional associations and industry groups that will help you keep updated on these upcoming changes. You need to know how legislation and industry standard updates are going to affect the way that your company does safety and therefore their business before the legislation becomes enacted, before that industry standard is pushed out and made public, be part of the change so that you can inform your management team what needs to occur. The number three kind of reason that you might be wanting to update your health and safety manual is the client requirements. And yuck, I hate this one. I really, 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 really hate when a client says, you must have this in your program. And I realize it's probably with good intention, but really, unless you are fully embedded 100% of the time at that particular client site, you need to recognize that your client is only focusing on what they want within their health and safety program on their site. This is where project-specific safety plans can come into place. Create a project-specific safety plan that accommodates those client requirements without you having to change your overall health and safety manual. Now, there is the saying that, you know, clients make a request, it's a big difference, you want to get the buy-in. So you could, you know, if you're strategic about this, pay attention to what types of requests that clients are making. Is it one client, two client, three clients? Because here's the tricky parts. If you have more than one client, asking for something, and those are pretty big clients within the industry, it is a good indication that that is an industry standard that is coming down the way. So paying attention to what those clients are saying and really taking the question internally saying, do we want to embody this within our overall company or is this something that should be specific to that particular project? Again, That's the tricky part. That is having those questions within your health and safety department, within your company, within the different project teams, but not all client requests should automatically be put into your program. It's your company program. That's why there are project-specific safety plans. Where you see the light at the end of the tunnel is that If a client is asking you to do something that maybe you've been trying to get buy-in from your management team, this could be a good benefit, a good change, a good way for your company to adapt. Speaking of number four, business changes. Maybe you have a new location or a new project line. If the business changes, it is a really good opportunity for you to go into those policies, practices, procedures, and forms and see what has been impacted. The ripple effect of a new product, sure, might not change your policies, but it could prompt some inclusions of safer practices and procedures, maybe an updated formal hazard assessment, the training matrix and the training requirements. The list goes on and on. 
a new location. Think about the levels of legislation that might have to be now included, new municipal, provincial, federal legislation that needs to be impacted. And does this new location meet the same requirements as all of your other locations for inspection frequencies, emergency response plan, potential scenarios? This is something that I've noticed while auditing. A company grows too fast or they're growing too quickly for the manual to keep up to date with them. The reference is, you know, the office. So now there, but now there is an office, a warehouse, a lay down, and each has its own set of hazards and potential inspection frequencies, training requirements, emergency response elements. Another example of where the manual may not be keeping up to date as the business grows is how files are stored. The growth of a company can negatively impact where files are managed. And this, if you're referencing your program administration section in your manual, should be defined, should be kept up to date. How specific are you in where files are stored and archived? How long are they kept on projects? How long are they kept at the offices? When do they come into the corporate office or in the main office? Who's responsible for documentation retention? Who's accountable for that archiving requirement? This is just one example of how a small office location listed in their manual might be perhaps too specific, too direct. As the organization grows, the manual's policy should be referencing all of the locations or sublocations. The final thing that could be influencing or should be influencing when it's time to update your health and safety manual is you. Now, wait a minute. Didn't I say earlier it was you that was holding back the manual from improvement? Yep. Sure did. (laughs) But on the other side of that coin, it should be you as a factor that is pushing how and when and what is updated in the manual as well. Challenge yourself to continuously think about your professional development. Reach out to subject matter experts. Talk with people in your professional network. Hey, what do you do for lockout tagout? So what does your, how does your company approach competency assessments? When your supervisors go out to do worksite inspections, what type of documents do they fill out? Becoming empowered with how other people, other health and safety practitioners are implementing their health and safety manual might give you an idea, might spark some continuous improvement on your end. So this is an example of how your network can come into place. You might even at this point consider having an outside consultant's help, especially when officially updating your manual, when it's referencing a new scope of work, new area jurisdiction that you haven't worked in before. Don't, yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Don't feel like you have to carry everything. And I, I, I'm trying to remember who said this and where was the quote, but I heard this years ago and it just really stuck. And it kind of said, just because you can carry the weight of things doesn't mean that it's not heavy. And so when I talk about getting outside help, whether or not that's through your network or hiring a consultant, 
Sometimes we need to realize that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay for us to realize that, you know what, I really don't know how to make a change on my preventative maintenance program. You cannot do everything alone. And that's one of the one of the bigger takeaways I can give to you for this episode. Even in comparison, think about the big oil and gas companies that are out there. They have massive health and safety programs and their policies stretch on for pages and pages and pages. But these companies still have incidents. In fact, these companies still have fatalities at their workplaces. So it's not the size of your program. It's how you cultivate healthy and safe workplaces through your program. It's using your policies, practices, procedures, forms as a foundational tool to plant seeds, to water ideas, and yep, also to pick up the weeds. But you also are there to be mindful to tend the flowers in your program. And in time, through continuous improvement, create a landscape that works within our organizations for our organizations. You've reached the end of another episode of Transmit Safety. Connect with us on transmitsafety.com and don't forget to sign up for our newsletter for exclusive access to Amy and Reggie, where I drop into your inbox to help you, inspire you, and empower you to put paper into practice. Oh, and I'll also be reminding you that you're doing a good job.